the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. I'm here on a Tuesday today. We took yesterday off, or you took yesterday off, which is good. You being my husband, Jim Anger. I am Emily Anger, the uh, spouse of you. (laughs) And we're here on the Post-Sunday Blues, which is a preaching post-mortem, where we dissect your sermon on sermonics for the week. Yeah, this week I was actually looking, is this the podcast that will recap WandaVision? That's what I'm really interested in Oh right my now. gosh, I would love to. I actually want WandaVision. Yeah, so many words. I've been listening to a lot of WandaVision podcasts and they're too down on it. They are like these nerdy white guys, probably, who just don't see the empath, like the empath feeling oriented, the heart and soul of Wanda and the exploration of uh, grief of someone who has lost their spouse. Yeah, that's true. There are a lot of 20-something nerds that are becoming soccer dads before yeah, I think they're years. 40-somethings. <laughs> Anyways. I sure hope not. Come on, uh, 40-somethings. Okay. We can do better. So WandaVision was a highlight for me. Um, I've also been, you know, you've been talking about community, and I were preaching about community and mm-hmm. our call for it. And I have just been, you know this, I've been avoiding community by just like watching, binge watching like Bachelor and... Um, Bachelor's all about community. Though, yeah. So. But um, Bachelor and then the Harry and um, Megan uh, interview. Is his name Harry? His name is Harry. <laughs> Let's go with it. <laughs> um, they actually are bringing, there's some been some real life racial issues and then you're preaching this this Sunday um, as we go into call it stormy Monday I do feel like even my attempts at escapism have been um, leading me down to this path where I really need to sit and be a little bit more introspective um, so I'm actually glad for this reflection point today yeah you're welcome British monarchy thank you so <laughs> much for what you're doing in the life of our marriage but we wanted just to follow whatever the monarchy is doing by jumping into this sermon series and Lenten teaching period and discussion period about racism and systemic injustice. And we once again did a sermon, this time from Psalm 13, focusing on lament. And that's what I talked about as one of the real keys for us as a majority culture white church, but not exclusively so to really dig into issues of racism. Let's use lament. Yeah, and I I am in the uh, kidding, not kidding part of it where I genuinely am trying to escape things and to not think about serious things. And I think that it has been a, an important thing to do to have the this concept of Lent. I have, I've um, texted hello to 215-650-8092 to get these daily reminders to be um, thinking and reflecting on issues of Lent. I have the... That's the Liberty Network, Monday (laughs) through Friday, 11 a.m. daily prayer pause. Yeah, was my little plug. Um, And I, again, my brain has been relaxing into trying to be escapist and yet I am genuinely being pulled, even in my, like, Reddit reading a bachelor. Yeah. 
into this concept that there are there's this big uh, issue in our lives, in our individual lives, in our in our friends' lives, in the life of our church, in the life of people that we love very much, in yeah. the life of um, normal Americans, just like people that we're watching. It's no longer entertainment. It's um, it's having to reflect and sit and. Um, realize that God has called us to weep with those who weep. And so um, I'm thankful for this meditation, even though it's pulling me away. And so for those of you who are listening, who might be like me, I I do empathize with the like desire not to be thinking about these things or talking about these things. Um, I try to escape, but I think um, it's important not to. And I I sense that burden with you also, as you've um, spent some time planning out the series. Right. And I mentioned a couple of different points so far um, that one of the books that was key for me, I talked about it during the introduction this past Sunday, Weep With Me by Mark Rogop about how lament opens a door to reconciliation as we engage lament in the scriptures. A couple of different reasons. And I, this was a sermon where I wanted to unpack lament in a big way. We've been talking about it so far. We'll keep talking about it. But this past Sunday was a double click on lament. I think it's a great category to use. I think it, it avoids some defeaters. I talked about how it's hard sometimes for us to find next steps. How do we as individuals address centuries-long systemic issues? How do we address racism and systemic injustice while skipping over the pain and not exercising proper empathy? How do we fight the escapist or hibernation impulse that nothing's going to change? Well, we can lament. Right. Um, it, like I said, that's the thing that is clicking with me the most that, um, I've been avoiding these topics for a while. I think when I was younger and I kind of see this in our kids, their idealism is really shining through and their desire for real change. Um, Mm -hmm. and it is mostly inspiring, sometimes annoying. (laughs) It's making me really, um, have to look back at myself and, or dig deep and see that my heart is a little bit, um, jaded about some of these issues like feeling like I can't yeah. change um, and so the call to lament feels like a good entry point because in lamenting I feel like a call to change but lamenting is a little bit easier right and lament too it's all over the bible it's not just one passage here or there I, I get annoyed sometimes with whether it's sermons or podcasts where there's some verse or half a verse taken out of context and there's this huge thing made out of it. And I'm thinking like, does that comport with overall the scriptures and the whole counsel of God sort of thing? Lament, Old Testament, New Testament, all over the place. And I believe as well that lament as a category is sturdy so we can handle, so lament can handle the pathos and the burden of racism because that's what lament is designed to do right um and it is i think it's a call for all of um all of us who are listening who are facing racism whether it is in ourselves or um seeing it with other people Mm -hmm. um lament just feels like the proper step um how did you going down to Sun Studios and BB King James version? Mm-hmm. How did you come to this passage? Um, you were saying that like it's lament is throughout Scripture, but what is this passage specifically speaking? Yeah, so the Psalms, in a general way, have a ton of laments. As many as a third or more of the Psalms are 
lament focused, whether in part or in whole. And Psalm 13 is another one of those laments where just head on, there's a lot of suffering and turning to God. So if lament is a cry of complaint to God in pain and for change, that's what we have here in Psalm, 13, Psalm 13, not Psalm 113. And it's an individual lament of David, but I think it applies to racism really well. Right. Um, but what, yeah, what is the, what made you choose it or what was the background context for it? Well, if we're talking about lament as a place of empathy and pathos, that's what we have here. So how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Front and center, there is the emotion that I was trying to connect with lament in, in general. The other psalm that I thought about preaching from this weekend, I also referenced later in the sermon, the By the Waters of Babylon, right. there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. And for me, um, as I look at lament and think about racism, and, and we want to make this podcast as accessible as possible to people that have a lot of Bible knowledge or not, people that are Christians or not, so to make it accessible, let's use the word hermeneutic. So I think my hermeneutic is growing as I engage the scriptures vis-a-vis racism. Hermeneutic is not an accessible word, I realize that. It's about our method of interpretation of anything, in this case, the scriptures. I think I'm getting better, and um, you can correct me if I'm wrong about this or have an inflated opinion sure. of myself. You may have done that a couple times in our marriage here and there. It's easier for me to take a passage increasingly so that isn't ostensibly about racism but to very hopefully easily and organically see connections from a passage that apply to racism and systemic injustice so we say how long O lord will you forget me will you forget us forever will you forget our church will you forget our churches will you forget our nation forever as it relates to racism so my desire was that there would be less listeners saying, wait a second, why are we talking about racism from this passage, but instead folks seeing, oh, I see how this connects to something that's a deep burden that a lot of us are feeling. Right. I mean, I, I think I respond both in, in those ways. When I think about racism, I think um, twofold, like one, my own heart and how I um, have neglected neglected standing up for um, racial justice in many mm -hmm. ways. Um, and then I also think it, these verses th make me think back to my uh, childhood growing up. I was, like we were talking about a couple weeks ago, mm -hmm. I was the only uh, Chinese kid, Asian kid in my entire high school until I was a senior and there was the one other Chinese person. And right. I really did come to Psalms like this um, with a sense of connecting with David's grief and um, the concept of how long um, I felt deeply connected to the Lord and to um, someone sustaining me, but I did feel like an outsider. A lot of my childhood was, um, was marked by being um, different than other people. Mm -hmm. um, and... I think that as I unpack it, I recognize levels of um, racism that was probably um, implicit bias and not direct overt 
things, but you things mean within you or against no you? against me. Um, gotcha. Where I was asked things like, uh, "Where are you from?" and I'd be like, "I'm from Texas," or I'm, "I was born in New York." People and they were they were meaning like, "Are you Chinese? Are you Korean?" Right. Or they would start speaking to me with the like fake Asian blah blah. I don't know. I can't hmm. even I can't even do it because. Um, so those experiences did shape me, and I did, when I think about, we've also been talk, talked about college, when I think about leaving for college, it was like my moment of this is the end, I get to leave this place where I feel um, isolated and alone. So I appreciate how this passage, when we're talking about scriptures and how you're um, choosing them, like it's speaking to this call where I need to lament with those who are currently grieving and currently processing um, racial injustice towards them. Um, but it also speaks to that like 13 year olds, me who, um, who faced some racism. Yeah, there's a lot of layers here. And I think for many of us, I hope that as our church and whoever else is listening, journeys through Lent that we are able and feel empowered and encouraged by one another, by the Holy Spirit, causing us to go back and excavate some of our own experiences, either being at the receiving end or perpetuating end of racist and racial experiences. So I think this is a good opportunity for us to uh, treat the scriptures as an opportunity for us to come together and use it as a Rosetta Stone right. uh, translation device as we make sense of our own personal histories more broadly. Right, and that kind of blends into our next section, Muddying the Waters, where mm -hmm. we talk about what you found difficult or fun, uh, well, in this case, maybe difficult, I'm guessing, when you were constructing this sermon, like what you were trying to engage, what you were facing as you um, constructed the sermon. Yeah, so I was listening to some good Muddy Waters the other day, Fathers and Sons, a later period album from Muddy Waters, I didn't choose it because of this reason to listen to it, but Muddy Waters was an older black man from Clarksdale, Mississippi, came north in the Great Migration to Chicago. Fathers and Sons was, like I said, a later period album where Muddy and a couple of his contemporaries were paired with younger white blues musicians to create some new sounding blues music. Interesting. So, Muddying the Waters here... I continue to feel this throughout the series, not just with my preaching end, but what we're trying to do at Liberty Collingswood more broadly. The Scylla and Charybdis, the rocks and the hard places, the things to avoid. On one hand, I want to avoid becoming too political, and I'm using air quotes right here, where church is just a vehicle for policies of the right and of the left, where why are we doing this all this church stuff right. if the bottom line is just political activism? Right. But then... If that's one rock and a hard place where I don't think the church needs to be there, there are a lot of historical occasions where especially white churches have used their position not to engage and not to speak and not to act against and fight racism in ways that they needed to. And also on the other end of the spectrum, we, all, we just want to avoid being ineffectual where we're trying too hard to be non-political that we're actually saying nothing of consequence and not challenging anybody anyway. Sure, it feels it feels difficult to be able to speak um, to to everyone to not close off dialogue, but to be um, really using the, the spirit using you to kind of speak in in multiple directions. Yeah, pray for me. And one thing 
let me get your get your take on this, Sam. And I realized that towards the end of the sermon, you were given an email about a vaccination possibility that may have <laughs> stressed attention levels. <laughs> right. But towards the end of the sermon, I mentioned Harriet Jacobs. There was this eyewitness yeah. account of Harriet Jacobs, who was an enslaved person who saw a family ripped apart right. at right. the trading block. Uh, children sent in a lot of different directions. And I connected that to political issues currently like separation of families at the border some critiques of how black families in the late 20th century couldn't stay together and those are instances where i hesitated a little bit because Mm -hmm. those are more topical and current but to me we need to see these things as connected draw your own conclusions but at least see the connections right i think that i personally do you think it's appropriate? It's not like you are speaking about something that is a philosophical, I don't know, perspective or like the, there's just a genuine, genuine reality. Super That's kind of, sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, I feel like um, your narrative um, that of Harriet Jacobs' observation, there's a reality there. It's not a political spin. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's a historical um, observation that should should pull at our hearts. So it's actually a little bit like the WandaVision perspective, where hmm. um, are you absorbed in the story enough, or can you just feel the, the emotion enough to understand that that's the point of the story? It's not that you're trying to like make some political statement or lay out a yeah. political... Um, agenda manifesto because you've told this story um, the story is speaking to us and if, if it's not speaking to your heart there's actually a problem so that the, the um, families being separated at the border that is actually happening so whatever your perspective on like what should be done larger policies because of that right um, just the the call to take a moment to lament that we're here, like, mm-hmm. um, instead of jumping straight to, um, the, the arguments. Yeah. And I'm seeing some movements at Liberty Collingswood right now where people that, as far as I can tell, are at some different ends of political spectrums, they are moving together towards lament. And I'm happy to see that. I think that's a work of the Holy Spirit. I sure. do think that lament is something that unifies us. This, right. this is a this is a common point where we, with one voice, cry out to God. Yeah. What are some of those things that you're seeing? I'm seeing, and for listeners that have never been to Liberty Collingswood on a Sunday morning, like we're we're at about ten thousand people right now. So <laughs> when I say I'm seeing some people, that means at least five hundred to a thousand. So I, I'm seeing some people. This man is joking. Saying that we're. They're beginning to read more broadly, listen more broadly, diversify news sources, skip less straight away towards defending or denying other people's experiences and stories. And I think social media and otherwise, we are in a period where stories can be manipulated and leveraged in weird ways. And so we need to be aware of those things. But then at the same time, we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Right. I mean, there are genuine stories that we need to hear and allow ourselves to be shaped for them. So 
seeing in some cases some defense mechanisms being unwired. And then I think for some other people, there's been some appreciation, and this is more from brothers and sisters at church that are on the political left, being refreshed. I'll say, I guess, from the right too, being refreshed to see that the Bible actually speaks to these things. Right. So we don't just have to go to secular sources to engage a robust conversation about racism in our country. Right. Um, yeah, so I think, I think that the difficulty does get alleviated by this concept of lament. It, it is something that's bringing us together. Right, and so the question is, so what do we do? What are steps that we take? And I'm still wrestling with that personally, and we need to have some conversations. Sometimes when I preach, when I encourage families to do different things, <laughs> in the back yeah. of my mind I realize, hey, we haven't talked about this in Casa Anger yet. Right. So do we have any steps of con consecration that we want to take as a family? And I, I think we should talk about it sure. with our kids uh, to, to show them that Jesus has hands and feet related to these things. But what steps can we take? to address systemic injustice and racism in our country, whether it's empathy, whether it's education. I dropped a worksheet, or I guess Heather did, who is our online host this week, a worksheet into the chat so people could take some laments from the Psalms and work through their own journeys of lament. Right. And I also, and I hope there are some people at church that are taking me up on the suggestion to reach across some ethnic barriers so that when the next time there's a horrible tragedy related to systemic injustice that comes down the pike on the headlines, that people of color, minority brothers and sisters at Liberty Collingswood would feel more reached out to and connected with and know that they're not alone and right. that they can suffer and feel and process, be honest about their own anxiety and anger in the context of a loving community and sure. not be forced onto their own islands of suffering. Lament is designed to be communal. Right. I think that, um, yeah, and there's a there's a line where you don't want to use people, including myself, as like the token friend. Um, but on the other hand, there's um, there's some very real hurts and pains, and um, the the weeping with those who weep is important. Yeah. So back to my high school self, like feel like knowing that you're not alone is, is, is a really um, beautiful part of Christian community. Yep. Um, as we move to like bar band cover tunes and you mentioned the Harriet Jacobs, um, quote, what were the references that you were using? Um, what were some of the things that you'd want to highlight? Well, let's go back to the Harriet Jacobs quote. This is sure. an ongoing question for remaining sermons. There was a, some pretty graphic detail there. Um, I go back and forth in my own head about how much is too much as it relates to details and some of these stories, be, because history of racism in this country is horrifyingly particular and graphic, but it felt important to me to read an extended Harriet Jacobs quote there about the tragedy of a family being ripped apart and the the suicide level pain of the mother who saw her children sold into different families and not knowing where they would be. It seemed important to go there and I think, I continue to think that we should go there for the rest of the series because this stuff happened and it's a way of reckoning with our own history. But it's pretty deep waters. What do you think? Right. 
I think it's important. I think it shook me because again, like I was saying, I was starting to be engaged in my mental space with like thinking about my own experiences with racism growing up, which were, were real. But, um, this narrative reminded me of the, of the horrific pain of what is going on. And we've been also contemplating, I've been contemplating Josiah leaving for college in two years and being sad about that. And like the idea of um, this in contrast to my privileged, my son gets to go off to school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it's, it's so desperately as from the mother's perspective, um, it kind of shook me out of, um, my own navel gazing into something, the bigger picture call for, um, for justice for people and for the ways that, that these kind of things have shaped, um, communities. Yeah. And so a quote like that, and we have some more, some more things like that coming down the pike in the remaining sermons and otherwise in this series. But then the other category of things from the bar band cover tunes were actually tunes. So mm-hmm. yeah, there was, Deep waters in this sermon, for for sure. So I don't mean to say, hey, it was really fun to talk about all of these songs. Mm-hmm. So at one surface level, I enjoy referencing songs and sermons because I, I love music, even for topics as serious and real as racism. So I got to go into blues and spirituals a good bit. Right. Where could I go but to the Lord? Right. Uh, was able to reference... Psalm 137, By the Waters of Babylon, I already mentioned there. We sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. I forget if I said, I meant to give, and this is the downside of not having sermon manuscripts mm-hmm. when one preaches. I, I meant to say that that's a great reggae song. That song's been put to music, Rivers of Babylon. The Neville Brothers, New Orleans, great band. Go Spotify. Done my, <laughs> Go Spotify. Uh, have done a great version, couple versions, both live and in the studio of Rivers of, of Babylon. And then a couple other old spirituals too, Watch and Pray, which is a title that I was familiar with as an old spiritual. Right, but, but when, when you, you go back and read lyrics, the lyrics, yeah. Watch and Pray is not just do your quiet time, but yeah. watch and pray because your family is being sold to different right. slaveholders in different states. I thought it was a really powerful connection to the Harriet James quote. And you were, you're joking, or not joking, but you were trying to... Um, apologize for uh your enjoyment of music but the reality is like music like uh us watching marvel shows like Mm -hmm. there's they're speaking art is speaking to human um issues and so i i do you you get placed in the position of thinking about these musicians who are playing or they're performing spirituals that maybe were sung by the slaves themselves um so this whole genre um is is actually a call for us to they're they're calling for people to lament it's their way of um speaking to the next generation or to the generation that they're singing to and i think it it's a good thing to um contemplate these words yeah so another case in point sometimes i feel like a motherless child maybe a little bit of a more common spiritual but just understanding that the genesis of that song was not metaphor, right? But, but reality where children were orphaned, and right. and parents grieved, uh, dead and lost children all the time. Another thing in the sermon that I cut as it related to music, blues, and spirituals. So, 
Blues, in a lot of ways, are secularized versions of spirituals. And just a little FYI for maybe this is in the direction of guitar slim pickings, but mm -hmm. so over the years, whether half a century ago or more or now, the blues has been criticized for, for being anti-women uh, because there's a lot of blues songs about my right. woman right, done, right, right. done me wrong. And there's a lot of layers to that conversation but one of them is that when blues were being sung in the Jim Crow South, there was so much disempowerment, so much suffering, so much violence against black people, men and women. The only things that black blues singers were able to get away with singing about oh. was my woman did me wrong. Sure, but, but it was a, actually, a more nuanced yeah. take on a lot of those lyrics is that the protest is not against the woman that did me wrong, but sure. it's against the man. It's against a right. racist society against them. And I think that should inform how we think about on down the line throughout musical generations, hip hop and otherwise, where there, there are some robust threads of protest woven into these things that we hear sung. Right. That's, that's interesting. That's layered. I did, I hadn't heard that, um, perspective and it makes sense and it all of a sudden clarifies a lot of things too yeah so, <laughs> so next time there's some blues music in our household and there's a woman oh, done well the I wrong start song listening. <laughs> just say it's layered baby it's layered oh my gosh okay well yeah tell that to tell that to jesse and clara tell that to micah who's one who's your flag post moving along <laughs> um yeah and and Speaking of, so moving on to guitar slim, slim pickings, are we ready for that? Let's do it. Okay. Um, that's our section where we talk about any leftovers, things that you want to, the behind the curtain things that don't fit into everything else. Right. So I already referenced it, but it was a first in the history of Liberty Collingswood this Sunday where we dropped something into the chat during a sermon. Oh yeah, I forgot twice. <laughs> I was distracted by, I honestly got a uh, email at that moment, which I shouldn't have been reading at the time, but I, the, the title of the email, uh, basically I got a slot for a vaccine, um, the next day and kind so i was in, perhaps, yeah but i um, was distracted by doing that instead of downloading the pdf yeah so trying to and this is form not content but at church we're trying to keep figuring out and i think we're going to regather later this spring we're going to reassemble but that that's what we're calling it but virtual is going to be with us to stay sure. And so I think we'll be doing more stuff like dropping into trying the chat share. during during the sermon and trying to leverage tech technology. Helen Wolves, if you're out there, let us know if you downloaded that PDF, especially during the sermon. So if or you do were it watching, now. or do it now. Whichever you want feedback about, like how I should download it, I yeah. I, I really should. So we need to be using these materials. Right. Yeah. So so let us know how, how that's working, both in terms of form and also in content. Speaking of going virtual, things that keep preachers up at night is when they have lines that they're planning on using that they flub. I had a big flub at the end of the sermon when I was talking, and this was the conclusion, talking about how lamenting and then taking steps of action towards racial justice through a biblical paradigm is a virtuous cycle and I wanted to connect the virtuous cycle of moving up, moving up, moving up, step back, step up, step back, step up, but an overall arc of progress as opposed to a vicious cycle where you just Got spiral it. down downward. I wanted to connect the virtuous cycle 
of our lamenting and seeking racial justice to the fact that Jesus took our vice on the cross. So a play on words between virtue and vice. But at the key moment towards the end of the sermon, I referenced once again that lamenting and seeking justice is a virtuous cycle. I accidentally said it was a virtual cycle <laughs> because so often right. we're talking about virtual and online stuff. So damn you, pandemic, once again. That was not as bad coronavirus as... Coronavirus wins. Not nearly as bad as the Golden Globe snafus. What was the goal? There were just all of them. Oh, yeah, from yeah. from this past time. The, uh, the, the worst snafu I ever had in a sermon was really early on, and I was using this sermon introduction. I forget where I got it from, or maybe I just wrote it myself. It was pretty ham-fisted, but I was talking about how picture yourself as a spy in enemy territory. I don't even know what I was trying to <laughs> illustrate. And I don't know if you remember this, but I was really building up this, like, you're a spy in enemy territory, and you're trying... I didn't... It was that did not make it. So. Right. But at a key point, I said, so once again, here we are in Emily territory <laughs> instead of enemy territory. And yeah. the whole congregation just started laughing at me. <laughs> and it was this like serious, dramatic point of tension that I was trying to build. But instead of enemy tension, it was Emily yeah. tension. Well, that was probably the subconscious speaking. <laughs> That's what people literally said to me during the sermon as they were laughing at me from the, from the pews. Right, that was a different context too. The speaking for the pews, yeah, uh, the yeah. chat could do that. The chat can speak from yeah. the pews now. That's why I preach. Just to, it's cheaper than therapy. Worked right. out my forty-eight right. issues. I should be like recording our kids' responses on Twitch or something, so that you can watch back and see the kids' responses to so this. So meta. <laughs> we had we had one kid. Uh, you can cover this his his critique actually for those of who might not. He, he, this kid wasn't present for all of the. Uh, this is a guitar simplicans too. Sorry, okay. I'm reading. Um, he wasn't present for the intro to the sermon, so he or the intro to the series. So he was criticizing your use of a, a white author uh, to be the basis of of your sermon series. Do you want to address his concern? Thank you, <laughs> my son. So, so, so that was a question that. A few people have actually asked me. So Mark Rogup is a white guy. I'm aware of that. The reason that I... Well, as a qualifier, I've read a lot of books right. over the past half a year. Um, I was trying about, to tell him that. Uh, or I tried to give him the answer. From, but... from multiple sources, including many people of color. But the connection point for me, and I understand how this could be problematic was that this is a white guy in a mostly white suburban church telling his own story of how his church got a lot better right. on these things. And so it was a place that I could look at Mark Rogup's church and say, I would love for Liberty Collingswood to be there a year sure. or five years from now. And it was a place where the question was approached from a majority culture perspective. Again, problematic. But there were action steps in that book, the main one being Lament, that said, hey, if you're a majority Christian, these are good steps to take, and I've seen them work in my context. So, again, I'm not over-defending that, but at sure. least that was a thought process going in. Right. And thank you to the teenagers for making their dads sweat a little right now. Come on. <laughs> break. If you're, if you're, you teenagers are listening, which you are not, you can write in to the Helen Wolves. <laughs> Helen pups. Or you could just 
complain like you usually do. Howling cubs. Whining cubs. Howling wolves. Text your dad. Um, are we on that section yet? Or did you have any extra leftovers? I do not. Okay. This is our encore section. We're wrapping up and... Um, we call our our listeners the Howlin' Wolves. I don't know why. <laughs> Some music reference. Because music. Yeah, because music. Um, I want to be a Howlin' Wolf. I was a listener last week, and I was listening to our dear friends, Courtney and Abby. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Courtney and Abby, I loved hearing from you. Uh, it reminded me of when we did premarital counseling. Jim and I got to listen to you guys uh, talk about... Um, People say they like our banter. Right. You guys have your own banter. And it was uh, it, it was fun to reconnect and think about uh, your journey as you now have kids and, and now are looking at the world a little bit differently, um, being together as a couple and trying to face these giant issues um, that are systemic, as we're calling them, but also very personalized as you um, as Courtney's narrative of speaking to her daughter about these issues when she was younger was was very um, important for us to hear, I think, because yeah. sometimes um, people in a place of privilege don't recognize, like they just spend some, we, we spend so much time protecting our children that we um, forget that by protecting, we might be incorporating privilege into, yeah. their, into their world, so. That was a key moment yeah. of that sermon dialogue when Courtney brought that up. Right. So, Courtney Newby, I really appreciate hearing from you, and it is important for us to not just be hearing from the white males, <laughs> like like my son was criticizing. Um, but hearing hearing that real life world experience is is super important. Yeah. Um, another person, another friend, wrote in and also shared some pretty um, specific real life thoughts. Uh, you have his email. So we have John here. All right. John is an OG Liberty Collingswood person. John, thank you so much for writing in. A couple quick stories about John here, whoever you are, wherever you are. He was, as we'll hear from this email, an original Liberty Collingswood launch team member. First time I met John, and we had moved here in the beginning of August of 2012. John was on a missions trip, I think, at Honduras in the time. So... We missed connecting with him right off the bat. A few weeks after we got here, John got back to Collingswood and he was at Liberty Fairmount and I needed to give him the pitch and say, hey, like, we'd love it if you would leave this oh, the OG pitch. growing, thriving <laughs> church in Philly where you have a ton of friends, a ton of connections, where you've grown a ton spiritually. And why don't you come and be one of the four or five or six original lodge team members of a church that we're not sure if it's going to work or not. So I, I recognize that this was an important lunch conversation. We went to Thai Basil on Haddon Avenue, like a Wednesday lunch. And before we moved here to plant Liberty Collingswood, I got out of the habit of exercising just because life was so crazy with the move. I just started exercising again. And it was <laughs> I know the story. <laughs> upper 90s in Collingswood. It was a hugely hot August. I went on a run right before meeting John at Newton Lake, but didn't allow a proper amount of cool down period. So when I met John for the first time at Thai Basil, I was in the midst of deep flop sweats where I was completely sweating through my shirt. And I walked, I was running late to the meeting, so I walked fast to Haddon Avenue. So I was sweating all over again in the 90 degree weather. And then what did you order? 
<laughs> right. So it took me a while to barely reduce my sweating just a little bit. And then when it came time to, to order, I did my standard, make it as spicy as you can. It was chicken penang. And I said, it's the spiciest that you've ever made it here in this fine establishment. Make it spicier for me. Try to kill me. And then I just started sweating all over again profusely. And I could see the look on John's face like, who is this a-hole that... <laughs> He's meanwhile asking me to like sign my life over to this, yeah. to this work. And it, he did it anyway. It went great. John stayed. And then also other thing about John and John and I had a conversation, maybe the closest that Liberty Collingswood ever came to closing and folding. It was one weeknight at the Wait, Irish Mile Liberty Bar. came close to folding R.I.P. One night at the Irish Mile, John and I just went and had a beer, and there was a frank conversation between the two of us, like, hey, do we think this is going to make it? Um, and so it was a point of deep discouragement just for me and for John, and saying, like, hey, this 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 church might, might fold. And we just kind right. of talked through, how would we process if this church ceased to exist? But by God's grace that it did. Yeah. All that by way of introduction. John, you got a preamble. To an email. Jim and Emily, how you doing? It was great to reconnect with the church a few weeks ago for your organization service and also learn about your new endeavor with TPSB. Spoiler alert, listeners, don't miss the post credits. Oh! It's been a particular encouragement to me to know that Liberty is using the season of Lent to press deeper into understanding racism in our society and even within the church through the lens of scripture and the gospel of Jesus Christ. While I don't know Courtney and B super well, given their brief dovetail and our timelines in the LCCU, I think that's an MCU Marvel reference LCCU. right there. The Liberty Collingswood oh, Church yeah. universe. And the end credit. Oh, man. John, miss you, man. Yeah, he's, he's hitting. He was odd. Yeah. I appreciated their deeply insightful honesty, openness, and vulnerability around these matters. As a person of color who continues to deeply love this church community, it's likely unsurprising that this is deeply personal to me. As the only person, as the only person of color at the first Liberty Collingswood prayer meeting back in May 2012, there's an OG flex yeah. right there. It continues to make my heart glad that multiple people and families of color have continued to find a home at Liberty Collingswood. Dr. King's quote regarding the most segregated hour in America still unfortunately rings true nearly 80 years on, making it very difficult for the church in America to fully understand and repent of the sin of racism and receive a greater measure of God's grace in Christ Jesus. Just as the law makes clear the presence of sin to the people of Israel, I believe that we cannot understand the depth and impact of the sin of racism in America and within the American church without relationships, dialogue, and worship that cuts across racial boundaries and by God's grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. Would that we not turn away from God in despair and the presence of our sin as a rich young man in Matthew, but would that we press deeper into the love of Christ who takes away the sin of the world. And then John goes on to give a couple practical tips about steps that we can take. And I am planning on incorporating those steps into the sermon this yeah. coming Sunday. Oh, so so John Helen Wolf. You'll have to tune in again this coming Sunday for more JT material. Yeah, no, that uh, his quote of which is the Martin Luther King quote um, frequently cited the church being the most segregated hour of America. Mm -hmm. I think that his voice, even in this email, um, Courtney B's voice kind of 
shows that is true. Like if we didn't have their voices um, speaking to us, I feel like we don't change. We yeah. just kind of pretend that we've lamented and we move on. We don't see the like the effect and and of weeping with our brothers and sisters. Yep. So thank you for writing in. Um, yeah. Good good memories. You can Great tell, to hear from you. You can tell this thank guy. You. This guy is a Princeton guy. You can tell it. Um, he's a big nerd. Yeah. <laughs> but I love him. Um, anyways, we do appreciate those notes from listeners. We, we, yeah, this note, for example, like Jim is using in his sermon. Postsundayblues at gmail.com. Yeah, you have power, guys, you who listen all the way through to this. Um, and yeah, I have been wondering if someone was going to actually listen to our post credits. They don't happen every single week. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but um, we are Marvel fans. Um, yeah, post credits. I feel like Wanda's post credits they they satisfy the nerd. Those nerdy, those nerdy nerdy geek white guys like should be satisfied by the post credits. Yeah, maybe it's time for us to get to our own post credits. <laughs> okay, sorry. Tying things up so we could go um, f- figure out what our kids are doing in virtual learning. Um, thank you for joining us. Please rate, review, subscribe. I don't care about those things personally, but uh, Jim does. That's right. <laughs> and write us, send us some emails, texts, thoughts that you have, especially about racism. I think that it's good to reflect together. So if, if you want to remain anonymous, you can even say that in your email. But if you have something to share that you'd like um, our listeners to also contemplate and reflect yeah. upon. Let's I think make that it a would dialogue. be good. Um, questions for me about my my experience growing up as the only Chinese student in a Southern Baptist sea. <laughs> um, questions for me, you know, white prep school, type of khakis, wingtips, I'm happy to go there. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, with that, I will close up and say to you, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching postmortem, production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre Sunday happy. practice post-Sunday blues preaching post-mortem. The post-Sunday blues a preaching post-mortem. Sexy. I like it. <laughs>